0: Hey, hey, what's up, y'all? It's Chase. Happy podcast day. My favorite day of the week every week is when a new podcast drops because that allows me to share with you these amazing conversations with people who have not only transformed my life, but I think are inspiring and people from whom we can all learn a lot. This episode is no different. You guys know this show. This is where I sit down with those people and I do everything I can to unpack their brains, whether that's in career, in hobby, or in life. Gotta give a shout out to Creative Live for help making this possible. And today's guest is one of those people who has made it. Now, it sounds weird to say that, but I like to use the word making it in two senses of the word. You know, you heard the word sort of, or the the concept of of fake it till you make it. I've always advocated that we should make it until we make it. And so my guest today on the show is Harley Finkelstein. And Harley is one of the creators of Shopify. Now, when I say making it, he has made it in that he's built Shopify from a company, it started out with just a couple of ideas in a dorm room, I think, to now as a $15 billion company. And what I love about Shopify is that it powers the stores and the commerce of basically almost anyone who sells anything on the internet who's in the creator community. Um, so many of the tools that we have in pop culture, whether it's uh, social media or your website. In this case, the ability to create goods and to sell them online—that um, has been transformed by Shopify. And so, what I love in the show is finding out some of the things and people who've unlocked huge aspects of, you know, the, the concepts for creators online. We had like Jack from um, from Patreon or um, people who've done you know breakthrough work on uh, psychology. Well, I want people who underpin the solutions that we take for granted today. And Harley and uh, his co-conspirator, Toby, who have built uh, Shopify into a $15 billion business that's, that's I think it's, it's now earned $60 billion for creators around the world. So he's made it in the sense that he actually built this thing from the ground up with his friend Toby And he's also made it in that this is a wildly successful business. So we get to go on two journeys simultaneously in this talk. We get to go on the journey of listening to creators and entrepreneurs and what is it they want in tools that will help make them successful. And Shopify has been in service of of that for now 13 years, but he's also made it in that he's built an incredible business. As I said before, like $15 billion business that's on the order of of Airbnb or Uber or WeWork or some of the other folks that we've had on the show. So huge, huge success there. And there's a personal journey along with the professional journey of success, of struggle, of failure, of rejection, and and rebirth. So in this, in this particular podcast, we go on these two simultaneous journeys, both making it in the sense of building something and making it in finding a way to make success in the world, um, and again Harley, so well spoken, just lasers, and I know you're gonna love this episode. So I'm gonna get out of the way. I'm gonna moonwalk off stage here. You can see me visually, just like and introduce my conversation with Harley Finkelstein of Shopify. Oh, before we do, just a quick word from our sponsor. Check this out, y'all! This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show is sponsored by Creative Life for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Live. So, whether you love, passionately love where you work, or it's sort of like meh, or on the other side, if, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people, that's right, 75% of people say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. If so, I want to introduce you to Creative Live's newest product. It's called Creative Live for Business. And in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of Live's content for your entire team and or entire company and maybe bring in some much needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to CreativeLive.com teams. Now, Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. These brands care about creativity and innovation. And you know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. So, it doesn't matter if you're a team of 5 people, 55, or or if there's 50,000 people in the company. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com/teams. Remember, the most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness, and again, with Creative Life for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world, all on Creative Live. So, again, you can visit or send your boss a
1: link to slash teams to learn more. I guess. what's up? Man? It's so great to be here, man. Thanks for having me. How many years in the making?
0: Long time. you have been trying to get me on the show
1: for a two, long time. Two yeah. years yeah. at least. But we we first, I think we met each other five years ago through the Build a Business competition. Yep. Which was really fun. That was
0: incredible, and that was you had like a hundred employees then, I think, I think ninety or sixty. Sixty, yeah. And now
1: we have more than three thousand. So it's been uh, it's been quite the journey.
0: So that's obviously one of the things I want to talk about today. Um, the well, how, our, our origin story would be fun to trace back because I think the build the business competition, which you uh, you and um, launched with a bunch of peers and friends of ours that uh, mutual acquaintances. Uh, I do want to talk about that, but I want to talk about the way back. Most of the folks who I know who built, what's it like, I don't know what your market cap is, fifteen billion or some. Create like crazy. Okay, with sixty employees now, fifteen billion dollar market cap, publicly traded company, out of Ottawa,
1: out of Ottawa, Canada, Canada.
0: Um, But I'm I don't know your your entrepreneurial journey, so I'm saving it for this very moment. There's no 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 research because I I know that most people who have built businesses like you have had this entrepreneurial like vein. Some something like it goes way back to their childhood where they were like washing cars or selling crawdads or selling golf balls, which I used to like watch golfers hit the ball into the water. I'd go get it and sell it back to them for like five bucks. That's
1: a dangerous sport though.
0: <laughs> well, that's, look at me. Yeah, I know. You know I've had a couple times. <laughs> Plenty of times. So what's your entrepreneurial journey? Because you know the, you, you know the show really well. I don't need to explain it to you. Yeah.
1: Um, so my, my journey kind of starts back when I was 13 years old. Um, I, uh, I grew up in a sort of uh, suburb of Montreal Mm -hmm. uh, in Canada, and around 13 years old, you start going to bar mitzvahs. Mm -hmm. Uh, My friends, my Jewish uh, school friends all had bar mitzvahs. And I remember seeing these DJs at these bar mitzvahs, and to me, they were just the coolest people in the whole world. (laughs) They had the headphones on, and they were mixing, and they were dancing, and it just looked like a lot of fun. And so I decided I wanna be a DJ. And the problem Amazing. was, uh, I had absolutely no skills. <laughs> uh, I'm still pretty short, but I was like four foot nothing at the time. And so, and YouTube wasn't around, so I couldn't teach myself how to DJ. But anyways, I started calling around and seeing if someone would hire me. And it turned out no one's gonna hire a 13-year-old <laughs> DJ with no DJ skills. And so, Not in hot uh, demand. it just wasn't, it wasn't gonna happen. And so I decided I would start my own DJ company and hire myself. And that was it, I just kind of decided it. My dad actually, who's always been supportive with all my crazy ideas, uh, went out and made me business cards, which gave me this great validation that maybe I could do this thing and I went and bought some DJ equipment and taught myself how to beat mix, just counting beats one to eight and and, and, uh, figuring out how to fade and just kind of the basics of DJing. Did you go to the library? I didn't I didn't go to the library, I just kind of bought this equipment in my basement and just just figured stuff out. And again, I had to buy a lot of CDs because obviously that was the only way to do it, there was no Serato then or or digital music. Um, But I bought all this stuff and borrowed money from my my parents and actually my dad was great because he lent me the money, it wasn't much money, it was like five or six hundred bucks but he taught me about interest. He's like, all right, well I'm gonna lend you this money, but on a weekly basis I'm gonna come back and collect the interest that you owe me, and eventually you're gonna pay back the principal. And so it was a great lesson for me in finance, but ended up teaching myself how to DJ, and then going around the neighborhood and trying to convince neighbors to let me DJ bar mitzvahs and birthday parties and weddings and and barbecues, and uh, ended up doing like 500 parties (laughs) between like 13 years old and 17 years old. And by the time I was 17. That's a hundred a year, uh, or, yeah. It's, it's a lot, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and every I weekend, both
0: like, he um, had the nine o'clock show, the midnight show, the And I was in AM. school, I was in high school, right? I was, I was,
1: I was a kid. Um, and I ended up uh, doing a lot of these parties and actually falling in love with the business side of the business, not necessarily the DJ, the art side of it. Mm-hmm. I loved, I sort of, a couple of things I learned then was learning how to read the crowd, yeah. right? Like, just because I wanna play hip hop, I know those guys wanna to listen to disco, I'm gonna play right. disco. Uh, Also, making sure that the client loved me before the party started was this easy way to ensure things went well. My sort of philosophy was that they loved me before the party, no matter how the party goes, it's gonna be good. Right, just making sure, creating a good vibe, good yeah. energy with the clients. And that was kind of my, my first journey into entrepreneurship. And um, I, I, I'm still known uh, to embarrass embarrassingly DJ some shop like Christmas parties to this day. <laughs> yes. uh, although last year my wife said, all right, this is it. You're like, you're not cool anymore. That's it's, right. 3,000 people. They actually right. want to have a good time. Yeah. And it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> to have some old dude doesn't really know like, you know, good new music. yeah. Oh, like so, what's the cool yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, so that was, that was it for me. Yeah. Well, really it's
0: cool. a very common thread for people who've been in the show and there's been some whoppers like you've, you've built something from nothing mm-hmm. and that's a really common thread that there's this early um, early sort of makings of a, a business person or entrepreneur or a creator where did you get it yeah. so do you do you attribute it to anything in particular Was it your parents particularly entrepreneurial or
1: uh, and not really I mean my, my dad was an entrepreneur uh, not a particularly good one at that but um, In the same way, so entrepreneurship solved the problem that I had, which was I wanted to be a DJ and no one would hire me. And so I used entrepreneurship to solve my problem. And that was like in 94 or something like that or 95, 1995. But if you go back to like 56, 56, 57, my grandparents came to Canada from Hungary. It was the Hungarian revolution. Canada had let in like 40,000 immigrants and My grandfather had a problem, which was, he had to survive, he had to put food on the table. He had no money, no education, he didn't speak English, and so he started selling eggs at a farmer's market. And I think in some ways, in the same way that he used entrepreneurship to solve his problem, which was frankly poverty, and I used it to solve my problem, which was this passion for entrepreneurship, I sort of always, excuse me, this passion for DJing, I always sort of assumed that entrepreneurship just may just be this thing, this catalyst to problem solve. And and actually, a couple years after that, um, I I was an undergrad, I was in college, it was 2001, I went to McGill, University of Montreal, and uh, my dad wasn't able to support me anymore. And I found myself in another problem, which was I either had to move back to live with my parents, and they were living in South Florida at the time, or stay in Montreal and support myself and and kind of take care of, of my tuition and ended up building a t-shirt business then and so once again entrepreneurship was the solution to my problem in this case it wasn't this passion for djing and not being able to get hired it was um, i need to make money and i needed to do it concurrently while being in class and so i spent uh four years of, of my undergrad and college years uh, studying a little bit but really building this t-shirt business and making t-shirts for about 50 universities across canada and again i just it was it was another reminder that my life's work no matter what i'm going to do um, will involve entrepreneurship in some way.
0: Well, is there a, so there's the theme then you've presented that very clearly is solving problems. And now I'm gonna fast forward to today, mm-hmm. which is um, I think if you've been living under a rock and you don't know what Shopify is, um, it's a company that basically provide. well, I'll let you explain it, I, yeah. I was gonna do it. You you, you, you explain what Shopify is. I was actually is.
1: curious to hear how you could explain it, but but I'll, I'll, I'll take, take the, uh, yeah, the layup take there. Yeah. Um, So the roots of the company is that uh, back in 2004, uh, we were trying to sell snowboards on the internet. And in 2004, there was basically two ways to sell a product online. One way was you paid a million dollars to have some custom enterprise solution built mm-hmm. and that's what you know walmart did and all the big, yep. big companies like that did and the other way was you would sell on a marketplace like amazon or ebay or etsy yeah and the first option was too expensive and the second option although it was less expensive it didn't really allow you to build your own brand
0: yeah and so this you were uh, someone else's mark Yeah you were
1: home. renting yeah. customers effectively yeah. from the marketplace and there's and, and that's right and and, and in actuality Um, the success of your business was tied to someone else's interest in in helping you. And uh, so this really, really smart programmer named Toby, who you know, our CEO and founder, Toby decided that he wanted to sell snowboards online and didn't find any good software, and so he wrote this piece of software to sell these snowboards. And within a matter of a year or so, he started realizing that there are people out there, like me, who wanted to use the software to sell their own products. And he decided by 2005 that snowboards was maybe a good idea, but the software behind the online snowboard business was a great idea.
0: It's like during a gold rush, sell access, Sell the pixax,
1: exactly, that's right. Yeah, or actually Levi's jeans. That's how they started, right? During the gold rush as well. Uh, And so we basically spent the next, you know, up until probably around 2013, becoming what I think is the leader in helping small businesses build great online stores. And we had tens of thousands, or maybe even 100,000 stores up until that point Uh, use us to build great online businesses and really the 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 tenants were make it really easy so if you know how to use email you can build a store on shopify within like an hour make it super scalable make it easy to customize and that really was the core of, of the business and by 2013 it dawned on us that if we want to be relevant as retail and commerce develops we have to sort of rethink what is the value that shopify provides to our merchants and it it looked like the future of retail wasn't gonna be necessarily just online, nor was it gonna be offline, that maybe the future of retail is gonna be retail everywhere. And if we wanna be a company that continues to lead in commerce and retail, we have to provide a product that allows entrepreneurs and small business to sell everywhere they want, online, offline, on Facebook, on Instagram, on marketplaces. and. Uh, and that's kind of what we've been working on uh, to date and um, How many years and, in. Uh, so now it's been about, uh, it's been about 13 years or so, 14 years or so since we're working <laughs> on this thing. Um, and we have more than 600,000 stores. And the interesting part is, even though Shopify was always built for small businesses, and still, that's who we care most about, we've seen companies like Procter & Gamble, and Unilever, and PepsiCo, uh, and and Kanye, and Kylie, and Drake, and all these big brands (laughs) all build stores on Shopify. And what's fascinating is that we're seeing now some of these larger companies beginning to act really entrepreneurial. But these 600,000 stores or so on our platform, um, they've sold more than $60 billion on Shopify. And if you've bought a really great product that you actually love in the last little while online, and the experience was amazing, there's a really good chance that was a Shopify Store.
0: It's it's true, and that's like not not blowing smoke. Like it is a legit product. It is beautiful. It is fast. The back end is like I we are one of those folks at Creative Live. We built our store from the ground up only because we have a bunch of nuances to our platform, but obviously we're, we're a community of tens of millions of creators and Spotify is far and away the leading platform for Spotify, everybody. Shopify, not Spotify. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Shopify. It's okay. Spotify is great too. They're amazing. Right? Yeah, yeah, um, right, but yeah. Shopify is yeah. the leading the leading purveyor of the store. Yeah, thanks for saying and that. So one of the things, oh, there's a handful of ways I wanna take this now. So put a pin in how awesome Shopify is and what it stands for. Um, how did you decide that SMB or like this, this market of independent creators and entrepreneurs and watchmakers and like when I did the build the business competition with you you guys, we'll, we'll go there in a second. I was just shocked at the variety of, of types of people who are selling stuff on your platform. It seems like that's, but there's still a target. It's not, you're not for everybody that's because right. as soon as you try and build something for everybody, you build it for nobody. Who do you serve? How did you choose them? Was it default? Because you know, honestly, when I look at the entrepreneurial landscape, this is one of the biggest problems I see: is people don't know who to build stuff for. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I, I like people to solve a problem that they have, because chances are there are other people who have that problem. But how are you focusing on? Yeah. On, so you've got six hundred thousand of these people now. So
1: I, I think I think you said it best, which is that um, Shopify is the software we ourselves were looking for. Yeah. And we kind of scratch our own own itch by building this great piece of software. And I think the reason that it was really meaningful and important to us to help these creators, these small businesses, these entrepreneurs, is for a long time, they just didn't have the same tools that the big companies were able to afford, uh, or the big companies were able to get. It wasn't affordable, it wasn't accessible to them. And in many ways, I think the idea was, what if we gave creators and, and entrepreneurs the same tools that the biggest companies uh, use but make it really easy really simple really scalable and super affordable yeah what would happen what if we effectively bent the learning curve for entrepreneurs around the world what, we, what, what would end up happening and so it was kind of this it was it was obvious for us to always focus on the entrepreneurs and even today even though we have merchants that are doing you know hundreds of millions of dollars a year our core focus is on entrepreneurs and in yeah. fact what's funny is a lot of the big companies that you Shopify today um, if you ask them why they use Shopify, they'd say, because we need to be a little more entrepreneurial. And so they are actually now, as opposed to the small guys trying to emulate the big guys, the big guys are actually trying to emulate the small guys because so entrepreneurs great. now are kind of, are kind of they've kind of figured it out. Yeah. And they're doing really amazing stuff. And so um, that was always really important to us. And, and actually the problem though with small businesses or entrepreneurs is that um, there is this risk aversion that some have. Yeah. And actually that's the whole point of the build a business competition. So the story there is, um, way back in like 2009, 2010, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Tim Ferriss and I were talking and Toby were talking and we talked about Shopify and where it was going and what was possible. And Tim had this really amazing piece of feedback, which was Shopify's product is super easy, but most people believe starting a business is either expensive and or complicated. And that if Shopify really wants to be a company that changes the dynamic and really creates more entrepreneurs. You have a different you gotta, hurdle. You gotta do something, you, yeah. you gotta incentivize yeah. that. And the idea was, what if we bribe people to start businesses? <laughs> and Tim had this crazy idea that we should start this competition where people start a brand new business on Shopify and the store with the highest sales after six months or eight months would win 100 grand. Um, great idea, uh, the problem is we didn't have 100 grand. We had no money. <laughs> Um, but the cool part was we figured that if we launched it in Jan- January 1st, by the time we actually have to pay the winner, which is like June or August or September, uh, we actually may have find money then. Like, we could probably find money over the next, <laughs> over the next you know, six or eight months. And, uh, and that was it. We launched this Build-A-Business competition in 2010, and we had like 1,300 people sign up, and uh, the first winner was gonna be called Dodo Case out of San Francisco, which makes this beautiful moleskin-like iPad case. Yeah. And what was amazing to us was, um, these are people that may have not started uh, this business if it weren't for this proverbial kick in the butt. Yeah. Like start right now, and we're going to incentivize you to do so. And over the course of the next, you know, four or five years or so, the Build a Business competition uh, created tens of thousands of new businesses. And it turned out that giving them a hundred grand wasn't good enough anymore because some of them were building <laughs> multi-million dollar businesses. Yeah, they are.
0: I don't know if I can go out of my way for the hundred K. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so we instead did was we we said, okay, well, what if we incentivize them by giving the winners this great experience, like spending an afternoon with you, yeah. or spending uh, going to um, Richard Branson's island for a week, Necker Island, uh, or spending time with these incredible mentors like Seth Godin and Tina Eisenberg and 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 people that we really deeply respect. we have all been
0: on the show, by the way. Have, have they? Every, oh, that's every, awesome. Every Ever made that's me. cool. <laughs>
1: uh, so. It's it's been this amazing thing, and uh, and actually, uh, this is take it full circle. Um, one of the winners of the year that you participated uh, was a company called MVMT Watches, Movement Watches. Yeah, Movement, gorgeous. And, and great watches, and Jake and Kramer started this little company in their in their dorm room. Signed up for the Build a Business competition. Ended up being one of the winners. Got to spend some time with you and and uh, actually, there, there, uh, <laughs> Little Lil John, exactly. Little John was uh, was was part it was of it. Meet Little John, Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk was there. Tim, Tina, Tina Roth Eisenberg, Salina Banks. Banks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that yeah, was a, that was a super fun. It's pretty closet. cool. We yeah, actually yeah, just fun. saw a, a Facebook flashback of that whole of that whole crew. <laughs> um, and actually, last week, uh, Movement sold for a hundred million dollars to Movado, one of the largest watch companies. And so um, that is pretty cool and pretty meaningful. And, and That
0: was not long yeah. enough for them to sell for a hundred million dollars. Right. That was just like, they just started. They just started, right? But actually yeah. that's what's
1: happening right now is is these brands, um, the, the, the pace of growth and the trajectory of some of these brands that we're seeing start on Shopify are unlike anything that the business yeah. world has ever seen. Um, you, you talk about, you know, uh, on the front page of, of Forbes, the front cover of Forbes last month This was Kylie Jenner who started a little lipstick company on Shopify and, and now has a billion dollar business that she owns 100% by herself. Um, these stories where this entrepreneur uh, are competing with the biggest companies on the planet just really didn't exist 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And, or, uh, 15 years or 15 ago. years ago. Or 15 years ago even, that's right. And we're seeing a lot of those today.
0: It's crazy. How, the, how fast it seems to have flipped. All right, so that, a lot of nice things to say about Shopify, a lot of nice things to say about success, the entrepreneurs have found success, uh, but let's go to the other side. Yep. Because I think if any, anybody out there, and the folks at home, they know they've, they're largely on their path, and they're realizing that, oh man, this is hard. And so, give me a couple, I'd like to say, give me the, the first biggest pain point that
1: you had building Shopify. So, so let me take actually back before that. Um, I talked about a DJ company, and I talked about a t-shirt company. What I didn't talk about is the 15 companies in between. And actually, shame on me for not talking about those failures, but actually shame on us as an entrepreneurial community for not talking about our failures. We gravitate to these success stories, these sort of um, tales of incredible, you know, courage and, and success. And actually, I think we do a disservice to aspiring entrepreneurs because we sort of glamorize oh, this. Oh, for thing. sure. And it's kind of bullshit. Yeah. Right? And and, and, and I need to do a better job of t- talking about some of those stories. We talk about Shopify growing so big and having all these merchants. We don't talk about the fact that it was really tough for us to raise any money as this little company in Ottawa, Canada.
0: It Let's was go really because I think a lot yeah. of and first of all, like you don't have to do it. A lot of the companies that he just talked about, how much had um, had movement watches? Very raised? little,
1: a couple very hundred little. Rand. Yeah, I think so yes yeah, it sold for hundred million. and they raised five hundred grand total.
0: Okay. Yeah, probably from um, friends and family. And it was mostly friends from, and family. That's right. Yeah. So just to be clear, to use Mark Cuban's advice, who's also part of building business. Yeah. Uh, this, the minute you've raised money, that's your first loss. of Because you should build a business where you don't have to raise money.
1: Well, it's a promissory note that eventually you're going to pay them back more than what you're taking. For sure. And for some businesses, you know, if you can, if you can rate, if you know how to spend, if you know how to take a dollar and turn it to a dollar eighty, and it's just this marketing machine, yeah. I can understand why more dollars equal more dollar eighty, and it could make sense. But for most of the stores on Shopify, they're completely self financed. Yeah. Um, but there were some really, really tough times for us over the years, and. Um, just to be the, yeah, the yeah.
0: first roadblock. You're like you need money. Can't raise money.
1: Well, okay. So let's talk about like location, geography. Okay. okay? I, I know there's sort of this um, meme right now that that business is become geographically agnostic. That is more true today than ever before, but it is certainly easier to raise in certain places than others. Ottawa, Canada, which is the capital of, of, of the country, it's a wonderful place, and we'll, I'll live there the rest of my life. I really love it. I think it's one of those underrated cities in North America. But there's no venture community. There mm-hmm. isn't this group of angel investors that have made all this money in a previous startup that are now paying it forward. Yeah. There was nothing like that. In fact, um, it was the opposite. It's it's it fair, It's like DC, there's a lot of people there that work for the government. Yeah. There's a bit of a risk aversion to it. Um, and I think, it was really difficult to convince people uh, that actually this is a company worth investing in. Did you think about moving? Uh, We did, in fact, a couple investors in the early days, uh, particularly Silicon Valley investors, were making their checks conditional on us moving into the Valley. And by that point, like you know, we just we liked Ottawa. We liked what was happening there. It was a, we, our families were there. Um, was it hard to walk away from
0: money and the check and the Silicon Valley thing?
1: Of or? course it is, because there's this. This it's not just the money. It's also the validation that these great iconic investors that write blog posts about whatever um, <laughs> want to invest in you, and you just want you want that validation. Um, And in the end, actually, what happened was there was this white paper that came out um, called The 10 Laws of SaaS Businesses, Software as a Service, which is our business model. And we basically memorized this white paper because it gave us the nomenclature that even today we run our business with. And we looked at the front page, and on the front page, it said um, who the author was. And it was a partner, Bessemer Venture Partners, which is a New York City uh, venture fund. through that, we, we just reached out to those, to those investors and said, we'd love like to talk to you and and come up to Canada. And in the end, we actually found a really great investor in, in there. Um, but at I would- At Bessemer? At or- uh, Bessemer, yeah, at Bessemer. Bessemer was our original, our, our first major investor. They led our series A. Um, but actually, in hindsight, the best thing we ever did was staying in Canada because, and staying in Ottawa, there is something to be said about having a certain focus that I think we wouldn't have had in the Valley. Um, the people that work at Shopify typically work there for a very long time relative to our peers that are in Silicon Valley, so yeah. they have great context and stuff. And ultimately, I think uh, it was the right decision. There, There's so, there so many to be said about being the best in your area. Yeah. And I'm not sure we would ever have been the best company in Silicon Valley just because we're competing with so many others. Oh,
0: yeah, and what you're competing with is just crazy. I mean, yeah. you guys have had insane, like on the on par with the Airbnbs and the Ubers, but- But there's a lot of them. Yeah, that's crazy. There's a lot of yeah, that. A lot so that, of
1: that was one, that. I would say the other struggle we really had in the early days was recruiting talent to a place where basically December through March or April, it is really fucking cold. <laughs> Uh, can I swear on this? Yes, shirt? you okay, can, right. it's frozen. Uh all right, it, it's really cold. And, and we ski, and I'm, you know, we have a ski house, and we, we really enjoy, we embrace winter. What's it, but the but Canadian,
0: it's, it's like, it's it's not ice if you can't see fish
1: in it? it it's exactly right, yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's a difficult place to recruit from, and it was tough to bring people there, and that's gotten easier over time, but also recruiting, and so what we did was, we said, okay, well, if we can't recruit people that are highly experienced, what if we just bet on potential? What if we brought on people who were super high potential, and just spent a a disproportionate amount of time coaching them and training them and mentoring them. Um, And in the end, those are people that still run Shopify today. And so we tried to figure out what we had going for us, which was we had loyalty, we had really smart people that were full of potential. Uh, We didn't necessarily have the big rock star names, we didn't have the big VCs in town, but we leveraged what we did have and I think ultimately um, it led to a much more, um, a better company long term.
0: Specific pain points. Raising money was hard at first, but what allowed you to break through? Was it that you you achieved success? You had numbers that were so tantalizing that they couldn't ignore you anymore? Were you so good that they couldn't
1: ignore you? What's I mean, look, having with? good numbers and good metrics certainly helpful, are certainly helpful. I would actually say one of the biggest things we did uh, to bring it back is, was build a business. yeah people did not know what Shopify did or who we were. We just we were not a brand. people that use Shopify knew who we were, but it was really difficult because we're not a consumer brand. We're kind of yeah. a brand behind the brand. yeah, so many uh, of the stores all of us shop on are today are powered by Shopify without even knowing it, but we just it was tough for us to tell that story. It was tough for us to convince people to give us a shot because we weren't just fighting with getting customers. First, we had to convince someone to try entrepreneurship, which in itself is really difficult. Yeah. And then if you're going to try it, to try with us. And so I think um, the build a business competition was one of the ways where um, we sort of crossed the chasm from early adopter to the mainstream. Yeah. And it incur- and, and, and wasn't gimmicky, at least I didn't think it was gimmicky. Right. It didn't really cost that much money in the short run. Um, but just getting people to know who we were was, was really, really challenging. I was probably saying the, the third thing was um, we were told that our market was not big enough. Which, in hindsight, is absolutely ridiculous because um, I think retail. It, 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 that's, <laughs> that's right. Um, but at the time, when investors were looking at our company, and looking at the opportunity, a lot of them felt that it was um, e-commerce, uh, you know, uh, SaaS business model, physical products. Sort of. If you if you kind of just look at the Venn diagram, it just was too small for some. And so, when enough people tell you that your market is too small, you begin to believe it yourself. And and I think. Um, to Toby's credit, actually, he just had the vision that no, like in the future, um, there's going to be way more entrepreneurs and way more aspiring entrepreneurs, and we just have to stay stay focused. Um, but we made it out of those dark days, and, and yeah.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit more about that, like the Jeff Bezos quote: "As an entrepreneur, you need to be willing to be um, deeply misunderstood for a very long time." So. How does, you know, in this case, you mentioned Toby, you just said, no, it's, it's good enough. And talk to me about when, because again, if you're listening or watching right now, so many people are saying, well, yeah, you know, my parents told me I couldn't do it. My art teacher, you know, during crit tore me to pieces. I've been, I had an online Shopify store and I haven't sold anything and it's been up there for a year like there's a lot of it's It's very easy to get discouraged and part of what this show is about is helping people understand people at home that now you have a fifteen million dollar business but there are plenty of times where people told you you sucked you weren't gonna make it wasn't good enough wasn't yeah. fast enough big enough all those things
1: so first and foremost like if you love what you're doing um and we, we absolutely did love what we were doing. It makes it a little bit easier, right? Like yeah. our hobby is entrepreneurship. Our business helps entrepreneurs. Um, it, was, it was easy to stay the course because we actually really enjoyed what we were doing. But to sort of to get a little more specific, um, part of the, the issue with entrepreneurship is that it's fairly lonely, particularly if your family doesn't believe in you, your friends don't believe in you, investors are not giving you money, and so uh, we were really lucky that, Bo, Toby and I had, had this great peer group. In fact, this is gonna sound super cheesy, but we created our own peer group. We called ourselves the Fresh Founders. Stupid name, but um, but it was a group I of people love it, who every Friday night or so, we would go to a coffee shop in Ottawa um, and we would just commiserate with each other. And actually in hindsight, that little peer group that we cultivated for, for each other, um, was a huge part of the reason why we were able to persevere through all those dark times. And so I would, no matter what city you're in, there is a way for you to cultivate a bit of a community. And I yeah. think that's really, really important. The problem is if you don't seek it out or search for it, it's very difficult to find. Yeah, and so,
0: or make, you've got to make it yourself. Or you've got to make it, right?
1: it yourself, right? And, and also, there's a con, some people don't even want to call themselves an artist yeah. or call themselves an entrepreneur. And when you don't self-identify by it, it makes it even more difficult to find like-minded people. Yeah. So I would say that that was really, really helpful for us in the early days of figuring out, okay, like we need other people that are going through the same thing because otherwise it's just going to be, um, we, we, need, we need more optimism, yeah. third-party optimism in our lives. Now, one thing that was also helpful was, we used to go to the Valley um, probably once a quarter, maybe even more often, to do what we would call recharging our batteries, recharging our big vision batteries. And I would say that you know, if I was in fashion, uh, I'd probably go to Milan or New York City every couple of months to sort of yeah. get inspired. If I was creating a car company, I'd probably go to Detroit or wherever to sort of get inspired. Or LA now. In LA now, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I do believe that it is really helpful to go and and, take some get out of your your own way for a little bit of time and even if it's sleeping on a buddy's couch in some random city to go and find people that number one you want to emulate number one you want to uh you want to be like and um and that was also really really be
0: close to the scene whatever the scene is you don't have to be in it but you have to tap into it you can bring that back to wherever you are i mean i built my own photography business and creative live out of seattle which is neat that's now it's a hotbed for entrepreneurship but it wasn't yeah, you know, 10, yeah, 10, 15, right? 20 years, years ago. You were Seattle. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I went into Seattle before yeah. it was cool. No, I, I think that that's a really, really salient point that it's true you don't have to live where, every, where all of the scene is, but connecting with it, understanding what's happening, being a part of the culture and the community. Right. You know, I have a philosophy that I call the other 50%, that people think that 50% of your so that, that it's making the stuff is 100% of, of how you are successful. And like, no, 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 it's it's making it and sharing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually saying, you know what, actually the making it and sharing it, that's actually only half of the shit. And the other 50% is building community, building mentors, mm-hmm. building um, community around the things that you love. And these are your first customers, these are your beta testers, this is your fresh founders. This is like, if you're not, constantly actively building community. Yeah. Like you said, not only is it lonely, but you know, that's very, very hard for entrepreneurs to sort of break through and, and I've found that as well. But it's like there's literally, it's you, your, there's no peer group. There's no people to give you feedback because your mom are, you know, God bless your mom, yeah. but mom does not really know a lot yeah, about Your mom can
1: be your mentor. Right, your mom can't be your mentor. Right. Right? Your that's, right. Be your mentor. that's right. So so that's
0: actually, the tweet from this this episode, right? <laughs>
1: but I, I'll tell you something, you mentioned about making it and, and, and sharing it. One one of the posters we have up in Shopify that isn't just a sign the wall, but something we believe is uh, do things and tell people. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs um, spend their time doing things but actually don't tell anyone about it because yeah. of the fear of judgment or failure. Um, I think in 2018, one of the best parts of being a creator and entrepreneur in 2018 is I think the cost of failure is right now as close to zero as possible. It won't be zero ever because there's an opportunity cost there for your time. But when you think about, when when I think of the greatest stores on Shopify, for example, almost all of them tried three or four different stores before landing on the one that actually worked really, really well. And that one that worked well was way better than the other stores as well. Yeah. That opportunity to sort of to try a bunch of things, that wasn't available to our parents or yeah, grandparents. For sure. They had to mortgage their entire lives in order to start a business that may have failed. Yeah. I think that that, that, is, that is really, really important. The other piece of it is that um, I agree, sort of creating... Um, I used to send out more emails than I, I, I care to remember to people just asking for advice. I mean, that's originally how um, all these mentors for build a business from Richard Branson to Mark Cuban to Chase Jarvis. Like, the reason that we got these people Good was I just actually cold emailed most of you, yeah. and I just and I called you and I said and I got one of you in, and so I I asked one of you to actually introduce me to another one of you, and and I kind of just I outworked everyone else to make to develop this thing, and and then once. One of you agreed, I made sure that your experience was just incredible, awesome. right? Yeah, Every man. aspect of it needed to be fantastic because you guys were then my, my tool to get other people to come and do it. And, um, and so I think, um, I think it's actually never been more exciting or interesting of a time to be an artist or a creator or an entrepreneur than it is right now. I think a lot of the reason is there is less, um, there's less baggage around it, there's less cost to it. Um, there's more competition because a lot of people are, are trying it now, but I think there's something really special right now in, in sort of the way things are happening around entrepreneurs who are starting in their basement and building companies that are beating the crap out of hegemonic fortune 500s, yeah. which frankly, I love, I love it. I love it too. And
0: I think that's part of, well, you, you just said something I want to touch on for a second. So you listed a bunch of like, um, attributes and it's true. It is. The best time, because of the tools, because of, um, I guess, availability of resources. It's more accepted. It's culturally. We don't have the same stigma that our our parents, or our grandparents had to go through to mortgage the house to get the. But the the ability to test and learn and poke the audience and say if they like it or not, it's it's instant. Mm-hmm. It's like you put something out and you know in you know, 15 minutes if you're a photographer if people liked your photograph. Mm -hmm. And that cuts both ways, but I think there's a little bit of a short-term, potentially a short-term win, but a long-term loss. Mm -hmm. How do you keep people focused on the things that they are supposed to be on this planet to do? And because it is so easy to test, to not just run around willy-nilly. Because I think there's, I believe deeply in stamina, like Mm -hmm. most successes come right after it is absolutely as dark as it can get. That's when something changes. So how do you, in an area where you can build a store and and start a business literally tomorrow on Shopify, how do you, what what advice would you give for people not to chase their tail and just do whatever they feel like? So
1: um, (laughs) I've been thinking about this, this idea of life's work for a long time, that if humans are gonna live longer than ever, what is going to change? And I think one of the main things that's going to change is that for our for older generations, for my parents and my grandparents and great grandparents, this idea, this concept of life's work was just not accessible to them. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandfather would say it's very nice that you're passionate about what you're doing, but I had to put food on the table, and a roof over my head. Yeah. And my dad kind of had to put a better roof over my head and a little bit better food on the table. Yeah. But I think college. Um, college. That's right. Exactly. So, so for me though, it's um, it's a luxury that I get to think about this idea of, can I do my life's work throughout my entire life? Yeah. I also think that there are so many people who have these hobbies uh, where they go home from their nine to five job that they absolutely hate, yeah. and they tinker in their workshop or in their basement, or they make little, you know, these cool bracelets at their mom's kitchen table, and I would really encourage everyone that has a hobby to explore that hobby and sort of double click on it just a little bit. I don't mean go quit your job full time, because yeah. frankly we have responsibilities and and, and and everyone has different things they have to sort of worry about and, and frankly they have to afford. But there is a period, a particular time when we all get this instinct which is like, all right, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to quit my day job and do the thing I actually love doing. And I think, um, that is a really critical juncture. And I think for, not saying it's for everyone, but for some people, I think that's when they actually decide, you know what, this nine to five thing got me here, but it's now time for me to actually do my life's work. One, I think they're gonna be happier longer term, but two, I think that, I think you can do, I think you can have a much bigger impact, not just financially, but also, when I was, I was a lawyer for all of 10 months. I hated I, didn't, it.
0: I didn't know this. Yeah, I, I went to law school It's very, and, I think we've been friends for longer than five years, I'm yeah. gonna call it 10. I, it's not often you know them for 10 years and you don't know that they were so, a lawyer.
1: So I was a lawyer for all of 10 months and every Sunday night I would get this pit in my stomach because Monday morning was coming and I hated going to work, I hated being a lawyer. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I told my girlfriend at the time, it was not my wife, I said, um, whatever I do next, I want my Sunday night to feel like my Friday night. And if that happens, I'm good. No matter like that is all I actually want to do, and um, ten years that was ten years ago. um, My Sunday night feels like my Friday night. My Monday morning feels like my Saturday morning, and that I think is something really special. I don't think that's unique to me. I think that that's what happens when you find your life's work. Yeah. And again, not everyone can just quit their job and go pursue whatever that passion is, but there is a point where you have to make that choice, and I think. If you, if you risk it and you mitigate the risk, so you mitigate the, you're not mortgaging your house and, and putting your family in a state of peril, but you're, you're calculating that risk, um, for most of us, that is the right time to jump. And if you do, you get to do really cool shit. Forever. and Forever, and, and make money at it, and make people happy, and, and contribute to the world, and fuck, I don't know anything better than that. And so that is something that I feel very fortunate that I can do, and as much as possible, I'm trying to help other people find that same thing.
0: All right. Let's think about the, uh, there's a cross section of people that don't have the luxuries that we just talked about. I, am um, I constantly trying to remind myself that I was born white. I was born male. I was born in the United States of America in, <clears throat> in what year, whatever year, it's it was. A long time ago. <laughs> but, and all of those things gave me a, a catapult. And yeah, you were born on third base. I was born on third base. So was I. And still middle, lower middle class. Yep. I mean, I had upside down Nikes, Adidas with four stripes. Yeah. I didn't know I had Adidas Those I, are clutchers editions, right? I, I didn't know I had Nikes with two eyes yeah. until yeah. I was in like fourth yeah. grade. I was like, wait a minute. My Nikes have up down, anyway. But there is an entire cross section of the world that is does not have the luxuries that we are afforded. Yet, there is, uh an emerging opportunity with put internet plus i'll just let's talk about shopify in particular what are you seeing where are markets growing quickly um and what do you feel like what's the what, what is something that we can do to to minimize that gap for that cross-section of the world
1: so i uh I spent some time in the last couple of years um, we have a small office in bangalore in india Uh, and I got a chance to go down there probably five or six years ago for the first time, and I've been going back almost on an annual basis. And what's amazing is 95%, I believe, maybe it's 90% of people people living in India, um, self-describe themselves as small business owners. They don't call them entrepreneurs, but small business owners. And so you would think that inherently entrepreneurship would be something baked into the culture. And it is, but in in, in a very different way. And what's interesting is that When we go to places like India or we go to places um, that are more sort of on the developing side of the world, what we see is way more creativity because capital is non-existent. So they don't have money to spend on AdWords or Instagram ads or Facebook ads, but what they do have is they're willing to just outwork everybody else. And I actually think it's that work ethic that has made India and actually some of these other developing countries, just incredible from an economy perspective. We've never seen growth like this. Um, What we're trying to do now is we're trying to make it even easier for them. So for example, in India, there's credit card penetration is just not as high as it is in North America. So in order for us to be successful there, we have to figure out alternative payment types, whether it's using something like Paytm or it's cash and delivery. Um, But there are sort of these nuances that we have to work there. But there is one common denominator that everyone in all these countries wants to improve their life. They want to be, they, they, they want to of go more. They, 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 they want to be in a better position than the previous generation. And actually, I think that gives them a ton of advantage over many of us that were born on third base. Because, I mean, I've been supporting myself since I was a kid and, and, and so, but I still was born in North America yeah. as, as a white male. Um, but frankly, I didn't necessarily have the same, I, don't, I didn't need to have the same work ethic as a lot of them had to have. Yes. And I think actually that gives them a huge advantage. And, and it's the reason why we're seeing entrepreneurship explode in places like China and India and South America. Yeah. Um, now what will be interesting is where does North America, who frankly is, we're all on third base, where do we sit in the next 10 or 20 years from now? Yeah. We use, you know, and most people in North America work nine to five, five days a week. Um, in China, they use an expression called 996. 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. They are willing to outwork other countries, other, uh, other people, cultures, yeah. uh, other cultures. And so, my, when I'm meeting with entrepreneurs there, I'm actually far more inspired in many cases than I am when I meet entrepreneurs elsewhere because they simply have no choice and they're just gonna outwork everyone. Um, that it's is really the
0: one variable that you know you can choose. Right,
1: is how hard you work. work. That's exactly right. And you don't depend on your relationships or some sort of safety net. You have no choice. Yeah. And I think that gives them a huge advantage as an entrepreneur or even a creator of, of sorts. Now, I think if the best entrepreneurs I know, no matter where they live, they combine, they take the resources that they have available to them and they combine them with just this um this ability to outwork the rest. I was never the smartest person in any of my classes, uh, in any of the businesses. Uh, I just tried to work harder than other people. And uh, this idea of working smart versus working hard—I wasn't even—I didn't—I even, wasn't even aware of that at that point. I was just—I was just working hard. Uh, now I'm able to sort of figure out how, how is my time best spent. But I, I, I do believe that uh, we are living uh, in a time where you can start a little tea company out of, you know, Delhi and it may be the biggest tea company on the planet in a couple of years and that was not possible even five or ten years ago
0: let's bridge from the opportunities or lack thereof in in the emerging markets and talk about trends for a second so retail is obviously experiencing massive disruption um you know nike is now they don't have this distribution model now. Nike is selling their own stuff and they're they're trying to figure it out. And you look at Apple with today at Apple completely transforming what it feels like to walk in a store. No one's trying to sell you something. They're getting trying to get you to sit down and learn. Like these are completely transformational, seismic shifts in, in the retail world. We're here in New York right now. Um, I don't know if you can hear any background noise, but just I just again coming in from the airport, I was like, God, there's so much retail. Just blocks and blocks and these. Everyone has huge flagship stores here. You have to be super tuned in to retail trends, yeah, because you're in the business of transforming it. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, what, get, give us a little preview on what's happening. And you talked about physical and digital. And I'm sure you can cut it on a couple different axes, mm-hmm. but just talk to me about where 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 is it going?
1: I think uh, there's a bit of a meme going around that like retail is struggling. Retail is dead and I call bullshit and all that. I think actually, um, this is one of the most exciting times of retail since John Wanamaker created Wanamaker's department store in Philly in 1976, sorry, 1876. That was sort of the first time where you sort of had a modern retail shop, a bunch of brands under one roof. That was actually the first store in America, Wanamaker's, that had electricity and had a telephone. Wow. And that was, at the time, and that was super exciting, but I think over the last... 130 years or so, you've seen a lot of the same thing just kind of modernized. You've seen bigger malls, more lights, movie theaters and malls. Like, but it's, it's been a lot of the same thing. And I actually think for the first time in, in a very long time now, um, I'm really excited about retail again. I think there's some really cool things happening. So one is um, this idea that a maker can create something and can actually sell it or give it directly to the person that's consuming it, the end consumer, that is amazing. Yeah. This idea of direct to consumer, I don't believe is a trend. I think that is the way retail always should have been. And the reason it wasn't like that was because distribution was too difficult. Yeah, cause so you,
0: you lived in a, like a shack in right. Pennsylvania. Exactly, you had you no choice. Right, right. there's not enough people who live near you to sell you your sell stuff. stuff right? right. And
1: so your only choice was to go to give it to some large company to fly to Bedville, Arkansas and convince a retail buyer at Walmart to please put it on, your, on their shelves take a big cut of the margin, and probably not know how to sell it properly. And the fact today that all of us that create things or curate things can actually go direct to consumer, I think, is amazing. So one, consumer usually pays less money. Two, the maker makes more money. And three, the experience is so much better. Yeah. When I buy a Boosted Board, which is the motorized skateboard that I that I, that I ride most days in, in the summertime, and I buy it from BoostedBoard.com, I get a little chat box that pops up in the right-hand corner, and I can ask any questions I want, the range, the weights, can I take it on airplanes and get this amazing information right away. Yeah. But if I went to go buy it at a Best Buy, for example, some sales guy would have no idea what a, you know the answer to any of these questions. I think as a consumer, direct consumer is, is so much better. I also think this idea that when I was uh, when I was younger I used to go to concerts for example, if I wanted to support the artist that I was seeing, uh, let's say it was a musician, I'd go to the merch table, merch stand, and I'd buy some crappy Gildan t-shirt with the tour dates on the back. Whereas now, when I go to a concert, when I go to a Drake show, I see the most amazing winter coat co-branded with Drake's brand and Canada Goose. And and so that's telling me that I I think anyone that has, I think a lot of these celebrities are actually creating really great brands that are not promotional brands, but truly are a way for their fans and the people that care about them. To, to engage with them in an, on a more deeper level. I think a lot about like, you know, um, Kylie, right? Kylie, Kylie Jenner, who's created this billion dollar brand. She owns 100% of it on her own, and she's selling this amazing you know, lipstick on, on Shopify. I think I, I, when I compare her to like Michael Jordan, for example, okay. who I think created this amazing brand as well with Jordan brand, but he doesn't actually own it. Nike owns his brand, yeah. right? And I think if Michael Jordan was starting today, what you would see is you'd see him owning his brand You'd see Nike as a supply partner. That's what you have with Kanye, for example, yeah. with Adidas. Yeah. And so I think one of the other trends that I think is really exciting is seeing more of these people, uh, celebrities, artists, rappers, professional athletes, figure out what their brand is and then create really great products around it. Yeah. Not promotional products, but but truly nice chachkeys. Not,
0: great tchotchkes. Stuff. Not yeah. tchotchkes, but yeah.
1: actually great stuff. That's, that's the second thing I'm seeing, and probably the third and most important retail trend that I'm seeing is. I think the future of retail is just gonna be wherever shoppers want to buy. And if you wanna to sell to you and I, better have a great online store experience, maybe also have a really good physical store experience. Yep. If you wanna to sell to my sister, you better be selling something like Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook, because that's where she wants to buy. And my mom and dad still love walking into a brick and mortar store. Yeah, I don't believe those are different businesses. I think that's all part of retail. And I think the retailers and the merchants and the makers in the future that are gonna be really successful are gonna have a really deep understanding of what their customers want and how they wanna purchase. And so um, I think that's that's pretty amazing. I also think the fact that you have these, um, these niche brands, uh, many of them are on Shopify, who are building things that are just amazing and then selling them to the consumer and, Going back to that, that that example I said earlier, and actually taking a big chunk out of these big emotionless <laughs> companies, and actually beating them at their own game—that's um, super inspiring.
0: I love that so much. Yeah. So let's talk about again. It's a little bit about trend, but it's. You, you all see the money that flows through your pipelines and what sectors it comes from and so a, a little bit of and context for the folks at home. Um, so I had an amazing time as a build a business mentor. Uh, we already it was myself Cuban Ferris, uh, Lil John Gary V Tina Roth Eisenberg Selita Ebanks.
1: Um, you missed your someone, but I forget.
0: It's basically um, it was
1: basically Chase and a bunch of other oh, guys.
0: Damon. Damon. Damon John. Yeah, Damon. Yeah, um, and we each mentored a different sector. So, uh, and we get to you know give your money away to them when they won, uh, and then agree to be their mentor for a year, or a year, six months, or something like that. It Was really cool. Um, and I know, relative to some of the other businesses, my photography and imaging, the the people did not. They made a ton of money, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like what some other genre of uh, of, of maker made. So just talk to us a little bit about like who's making a lot, who's where are their great margins. And again, I don't advocate that you build your business on these principles unless you are an MBA who's looking to jump on board and operate a company. If you're a creator and a founder, I think you should do something that you love first and foremost and then hopefully there's some you can create some good unit economics, but I'm just fascinated to know a little bit about these trends, and I don't wanna read your public filings. I want sure. you to tell
1: me yeah. about it. <laughs> so a couple things. First of all, I think um, I think the ones that sort of stand out for me are the ones that, as you said, had a deep passion for what they were doing. Yeah. They weren't selling widgets. Yeah. They were selling something that they themselves really loved. I would also say um, a lot of them, before they actually went all in, they kind of tiptoed into the water a little bit. So you may have someone that has like a, a soccer blog uh, and it's a cool blog and people reading it and they're like, you know, what, maybe I can sell soccer balls or soccer products they didn't necessarily go out and buy a Thousand soccer balls and, and, and store inventory. They may have started with you know, a drop shipping business okay. Let me see whether or not like again You're not gonna make that much money in a drop shipping business because the margins are lower but they experiment to figure out whether or not they had a product market fit okay. and once they did then they doubled down and said All right, it's time to buy inventory. I would also say um, the ones that succeeded and have continued to succeed over a very long period of time, um, there was a real story behind what they were doing. The and, and, and and this idea of storytelling, as cliche as might said, it really does work really well. Because one, you're able to, um, particularly the early purchasers of your product, end up becoming your ambassadors, yeah. almost your marketing team. Yeah. And I think if you don't necessarily have a compelling story and you don't really um, you, you don't have this narrative of why you've done it and how you've done it. I don't actually think it works nearly as well. Probably the last thing that I think has been uh, a common thread across all the winners of Build a Business, but frankly, most of the, uh, the Shopify success stories over yeah. time is that um, they really did fill a gap in the market. Uh, whether it was Debbie Sterling created Goldie Blocks because she felt there were no toys to inspire little girls to become engineers and she was one of very few female engineers in her her class uh, or it's tina who before speaking my mentor created tatley because she realized that her daughter uh, ella was coming home with a bunch of crappy temporary tattoos on her arm and she's like why can't there be really nice right mama can make better that's right (laughs) or even dodo case who said like why can't i make a beautiful looking ipad case that almost looks like a an artisanal book right um and i think that those are some of the common beyond that though we have merchants that um that sell uh crazy things like boosted boards which yep. has a lot of R&D behind it. Uh, we also have merchants that sell one single t-shirt and that's all they do. Um, so I don't, wouldn't necessarily, there's one particular type. I think actually today, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, end of summer 2018 right now. Um, a lot of them rather than spending money on digital ads, upfront paid ads, a lot of them are actually first finding a community online, whether it's on Reddit, or Instagram, or some random forum. They are evangelizing an existing community in advance of actually going to market with it. Yes. And so that when they hit that launch button, they already have people that are kind of interested in seeing where they go. Um, and that's again where capital is no longer the most important ingredient for success. It's really creativity and, and resourcefulness. And, and I think And community, and, yes. and getting these people engaged. And, it's I mean, it's not easy to do that, but it's not impossible and yeah. it doesn't matter who it's you probably are probably easier than raising money Way than dollars. raising money and by the yeah. way, it doesn't matter where you're based if you're based in in Seattle You're based in in Bangalore. Um, you can create and, and, and work with a community and, and add value to that community um, We were talking earlier uh, just about one of my favorite stores on shop, which is Fashion Nova It's an incredible story out, out of out of Los Angeles great entrepreneur named Richard, but you know Richard has been sending um, free clothing to up-and-coming musicians for as long as Fashion Nova has existed, knowing that at some point one of them may actually become the next big thing. And in this case, it was Cardi B.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and while everyone else now is trying to get Cardi B engaged in their brand, because she's this you know, huge celebrity, this, this huge brand, she's loyal to Fashion Nova, because Fashion Nova believed in her before anyone else did. And yes, it cost him a little bit of money because he sent them free stu- her, her free stuff, but that was, that, that's really what it takes. Um, I think that is he didn't have a lot of money, he didn't have many connections, but he kind of he was willing to play some bets. All
0: right This just satisfi- satisfies a weird place. and I think people's minds out there right now are' someone like on oh, what what of like the weirdest thing that people like get, we get any weird stories of people like making a ton. And you probably can't disclose how much they made yeah. unless you've had got their, yeah but, yeah. but is there anybody who's made a ton
1: of money selling someone something totally bizarre? Well, every now and then we, I'll, I'll catch like a trend, for example, like I'll see a fidget spinner, you know, shop yeah. and stuff. So we, we see some of those weird stores. I mean, the interesting part is on the internet, every niche has, has like, has an actual mass market. I think that's sort of the beauty of, of, of digital commerce is that um, if you- Say that again. Every niche has a mass market. So you may think it's a small niche. You may think it's something that only you and your quirky friends care about. But the the crazy part is online, you can actually curate that and bring these people together and you can take a bunch of, you know, people that care about the small niche and actually have a real market for it. That, I think, is, is really great. Um, I, I can't think of any ones that, that come to mind. Although, frankly, I've been wearing, uh, uh, it's maybe not a weird one, but I've been wearing the Chubby, you know, Chubbies, the short company? No. I've worn those shorts, like, all throughout the summer. And they're kind of short shorts kind of thing. I never kind of thought I'd wear shorts that kind of go up to here, but they're amazing. Um, and uh, actually, it was my parents' anniversary a couple, uh, two weeks ago, and my dad snores horribly. And I was like, I want to get them something to help with my dad snoring, because I think it'll help my my parents' marriage. And I got them, it's a Shopify They're called Nora, N-O-R-A. It's this thing that goes in my dad's pillow, and every time he snores, it kind of adjusts his pillow just a little bit. And I don't think my father's sleeping much, but he's not snoring anymore either. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that's- My mom's super happy. My mom's super happy. <laughs> um, but, it's, uh, but that's that's the cool part of, of my perspective watching these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of stores on Shopify is that, um, I know a lot of their origin stories and all of them had doubt and all of them had insecurity and all of them weren't sure if they were going to make it um and it's amazing to me to watch all of them sell what's now i think more than 60 billion dollars worth of uh worth of products on shopify and it's not these big store it's the long tail it's like it's all these hundreds of thousands of stores that well that's the punchline
0: here i mean the fact that you started the business is cool I respect the hell out of you for building this insane business. But to me, like what we're, these are messages for you, for the people who are listening and watching right now. Like you have to, if you've ever wondered if this stuff is actually happening, like you, you are gonna, definitely gonna make no money if you don't start a store. Or you're definitely, if you don't go into business, if you don't print business cards, if you don't, maybe less relevant now, but if you don't start saying who you are, what you believe in, and putting it out there for people to uh, participate in, to judge, to collaborate with, to build community around, certainly nothing's gonna happen. So you have that, like, these, these are stories of, entrepreneurs who've put it out there and you don't have to not everybody is going to be a movement watches that sells for 100 and you, million. And you don't have to be, right? right. I mean, for That's some, the some, line, some of the merchants right?
1: on our platform, they're just trying to make a living. Yeah. Right? They didn't want to work at some crappy job they didn't like that where they had no passion. They wanted to find their life's work. And the fact that they can support themselves and their family, that is amazing. It's amazing. And and and, and frankly, like what technology has done, forget Shopify for a second. What tech has done is it truly has reduced the barrier for all of us to at least give our crazy ideas a shot. It's 29 bucks. It's like a couple lattes a month at at a Starbucks, right? For that same amount of money, you can actually see whether or not your crazy idea has legs. And I think that is worthwhile. I think it's a worthwhile bet to take on yourself.
0: Let's, we're gonna pivot here. So I'm gonna pivot towards, um, right now there are people who are, are trying to build companies and who are not yet to where you are with the company that you've built and they're trying to figure it out. And we were joking earlier when, whatever, five or 10 years ago, when we first started hanging out, you had 60 people and now you have 4,000. Okay. Everyone says like, that's cool. I remember when creative live grew from six to 80 in 18 months. I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy, crazy. And it, everyone will patch on the back on the outside on the inside was total chaos. Sure. And because the person who's only worked here for four weeks is hiring the new person. And how do the core values get passed along? And there, you know, there's like all kinds of problems with that growing from 60 to 4,000 in a handful of years is bonkers. How do you keep your company culture
1: alive? Yeah. So, um, there's this, um, there's this concept or this, um, I don't know what it is, philosophy is called. Dunbar's number mm-hmm. It's 150. Mm-hmm. So I think effectively, biologically, humans can, have, can keep 150 names or people in their head at any one given time. Um, and so I knew about that concept. I think Seth Godin writes about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, it actually wasn't like 100 to 150 that was tougher. It was actually, uh, it was almost like going from 30 to 60 that was the most difficult for us, for me. Yeah. And the reason is Shopify uh, is deeply personal for me. It's, this is not just my 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 business or my, my job, but it's, it's my life, it's everything to me. And I really took a lot of pride in knowing everyone at the company, not just knowing about who they were, but knowing who their family was, and yeah. what they were up to. their dog's
0: they, name. Exactly, yeah. and,
1: and, and tell me, like I just I wanted to know their stories. And it became really difficult when we hit 60 people. So we sort of created something, uh, a couple things in the early days that I think have lasted and have scaled to 4,000. So one is, um, We do an AMA at least once a month where the entire company can ask any questions they want using their name or anonymously and using a very simple Reddit style upvote downvote system, we answer the first 10 or 20 questions. So it really has allowed for, it's almost like a pressure valve release that whatever people are wondering about, it's a vehicle for them to ask. So there's no sacred cows. There's no, you know, things that like, if there's something that people are concerned about, that, that that is really helpful, that, that's one. The second, um, second thing we've done is, the company is structured in a way where we have, um, we are highly aligned but loosely coupled. And so what I mean by that is, the company as a whole knows what direction we wanna go and every group knows where they're going, but there's very little, um, there's as little interdependency as possible on other teams, which the result of which is that one team is not blaming another team for not being able to get their work done. Yeah. In the same ways that we give our partners APIs to build apps and themes and all types of stuff on top of, we ourselves use APIs inside of Shopify from a technical perspective, but also from a philosophical perspective, which is that one business team can work with another business team by effectively using uh, like a sort of um, a business API. Yeah. And so that also is really, really helpful. Uh, third is we've been really clear about our values. And I think a lot of people think your values are... Um, or your culture is what you put on the wall, right. and we've always sort of felt that our values or our culture. Um, I think your culture is what people do when they're when no one else is looking, when no one's looking. What did, what does your staff, your team, your employees do when they're left with their own devices? That's what defines your culture, and so we've been we've overinvested in that as much as we possibly can, um, so much so that that now Toby and I have an internal podcast called Context. It comes out every two weeks. It's only for the, it's only for our staff, but. All it does is we take one topic and we just talk, we just give the context of the I history it. of it, why we made that decision. And so now when new people join Shopify, they're able to get up to speed, almost like an archeologist, super rapidly.
0: They listen to it on 2X, 1.5X. I, can, I don't I think you. they you can do that with me on 2X, <laughs> maybe with Toby,
1: but I already speak pretty fast. We also, um, we default to open. So super, I mean, a lot of companies talk about transparency. We really do default to open. So every quarter we have a board meeting. Um, and uh, what well, we tell the board uh, in that meeting, we also submit it to the entire company. We believe that's really, really important. Yep. So we've, I don't think we do it perfectly, but we've, there are, there are some scaffolding and some, there's, there's, a, there's um, a foundation of culture at Shopify that I think has been able to um, withstand the growth. And actually now I think what we've, what we're left with is a company that with every new hire, the average company, the average of the company actually gets better. Um, so I don't think we have it perfect, but, yeah. um, I think we're really honest with each other and honest about what works and what doesn't. And we just, we, we spend time on that stuff. It, it really matters. Um, and putting posters on your wall that says whatever attitude is bullshit, <laughs> total bullshit. Um, if, if that's not what you're living that if that's not what you are setting an example of, uh, it doesn't matter what you put on your walls. All right. So
0: we've talked, you know, it's. A lot of our stories, they are designed for you to help us as creators and entrepreneurs understand what the hundreds of thousands of creators and entrepreneurs that are on your platform are doing. Let's talk about you specifically, Harley Human. Um, what's your biggest leadership challenge going from 60 to 4,000?
1: Um, I got a lot, um, but probably my biggest one is I have been, uh, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life and I've become quite accustomed to doing everything on my own. Not because I'm better, but because for a long time, no one really wanted to help me. Yeah. And so I, you know, with the teacher business, I was the janitor and the receptionist and the head of sales and the CEO and the manufacturer and everything because yeah. no one else would help me. That transition to um, letting go and not having to do everything, not doing everything myself and not micromanaging, that has been super challenging for me. Um, I'm, I'm still not good at it. Um, and I've been seeing a coach now for basically since day one when I arrived at Shopify, um, but that has not been an easy transition. And so one of the concepts that have been, has been really helpful for me on the way we at Shopify is the idea of a trust battery. So the metaphor kind of works like this. Everybody that I work with and we all work with, they started at about a 50% trust battery. And their goal is to get to 100% trust as fast as they can. And the way they get there is by making good decisions in the face of ambiguity. And when they get to 100%, that's kind of what they want because that's where you get autonomy. I trust them, they can run on their own autonomously and better for us, better for me, better for them, better for the company. Uh, and I don't necessarily say you're at 88% or 82%, but we can kind of figure out directionally how things are going. But the reverse is also true. If they make a lot of bad decisions, eventually uh, you know, the trust battery does deplete. Does deplete. And like an old cell phone that you have in your drawer, there is a point where the trust battery cannot be recharged again. It's just so depleted that no matter how many times you plug it in, it's just not going anywhere. And so we're really honest about sort of this trust battery analogy, and I, I'm really honest about it uh, with my team. And I say, look, like this is going in a really bad direction. I, you need to know that. I'm gonna probably be a lot more involved now because um, this idea of trust but verify is now requiring me to verify a lot yep. more than I'm trusting. Yep. And that's a
0: peter drucker
1: yeah thing, right? I, I think it was drucker a couple yeah. people uh executive sort of told me it, but um but that has been
0: the trust real- battery i've never heard that yeah, but yeah. it's like the trust but verify kind of thing Th-
1: that, that i think is, is really important but that, that's probably my biggest challenge the second challenge that i have is um my job changes a lot now shopify is a you know multi-billion dollar publicly traded company with a lot of people a lot of different stakeholders and um I actually I feel like I have to re-qualify for my job every year. And that is really difficult because my job gets more and more difficult um, every single year. And I've actually found um, it's been more, it's it's been challenging to find people to learn from as you grow and, and whether it's, I don't have that many peers that are running public companies. Most of my <laughs> friends are running companies that are private and so yeah. I have to find new mentors and new advisors. Um, but um, it's been challenging to my job doesn't get easier over time. I actually find it gets a lot more challenging. I think it's what keeps me interested. That's what keeps it compelling and, yeah. and keeps it being my life's work.
0: Advice for someone who's thinking of starting, but is afraid.
1: Advice for someone who's thinking of starting, but is afraid. Um, well, first and, first and foremost, know that all of us are afraid. I'm still afraid. I still lose sleep all the time. Uh, because now I actually feel like,
0: my God, I have the- It was like you needed to get successful, now that you have success, like, you gotta keep it, you gotta be like, going. no, now, now actually
1: like, like I better keep doing this and I better get better and I, get, I better get faster and I get better get smarter and, and I have less of, uh, um, less excuses for why we're not gonna build a hundred billion dollar company that affects the lives of millions of entrepreneurs. Um, now I, uh, so first and foremost, I think it's important to realize that all of us uh, are scared no one has their shit figured out. Um, some of us tend to put on a bit of a, a, a tougher smile or, or or put up this sort of shell on top that makes you feel like, well, they must have their stuff figured out. And actually over time I realized that the best people are actually fairly self-aware and self-critical and honest with each other to say, I actually don't know what I'm doing. Um, the second thing I would say is, um, if you have this idea that you have been toying with for a little while, um, Write it down, and every time you think about it, put a check next to it. And if you think about it over the course of a month or two, and there are 10 checks next to that that idea, give it a try. Don't necessarily go all in. Start a little store, take a weekend stall at a farmer's market, um, go create something that, you know, maybe during, take a two-day weekend and, and, and go and immerse yourself in it. Go to a hackathon or an accelerator program for, for a couple days. But give that idea the respect that it obviously deserves if it's taken on that much mind share, And if it it only has one checkbox after two or three or four weeks or months, cross it off and move on from there. Um, But this idea that you're in this constant state of of limbo and and, and uncertainty, I think that is the worst thing for an entrepreneur or a creator. Um, Not all the time, but sometimes the wrong decision is better than indecision. And it's not always the case, but in the case of trying something, particularly now that, the cost of failures is, is, is getting to be so low. Um, I don't know, you may just figure out what your life's work is and like, that is, that's amazing.
0: It's been so fun watching you. I remember sitting at a campfire with you and Toby. In uh, Lake Tahoe. In Lake Tahoe. Yeah. And you were scheming to build a new widget of something. And then the next time I looked around, you guys were 10 times bigger, the next time I looked around, you were worth a billion dollars, and then you went public, and it's just been so fun to watch you grow this from the grassroots in Canada.
1: Not bad, yeah. Yeah, Canada of all places, I mean, <laughs> And also, Canadians in general, like, it, it, it's it's tough to kind of celebrate success in Canada. We're a very... Okay, well, um, we'll, we'll Donny. Yeah. Uh, but but it just it's a, it's just a little bit more modest and a little more low key but actually I'm really proud that we did this been holding in that's, Canada. That's um, the punchline here man. I'm so But proud it's of uh me. well thank you for saying that. And actually one of the greatest parts about knowing you Chase and 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 some of our mutual friends is that surrounding yourself with other people that are equally as ambitious and equally as positive, um, and getting rid of all the energy vampires in your yeah. life and and frankly that meant for me getting rid of some people that were very close to me family even yeah. because they just didn't simply add to what I wanted and they weren't necessarily making me better and, and, and they were making me doubt myself in ways that I just couldn't afford. Um, but surrounding myself with really great positive people who were also on their own journey to find their life's work, um, that's, been, that's been really important too.
0: There's so. no substitute for that.
1: Thanks, Thanks for So happy
0: to yeah. have you yeah. on the show. That's it. Signing off for another episode. I uh, will see you again, hopefully, tomorrow. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, Actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the back side of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, uh, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me.